gave me the fall for off. You're well, very welcome to Leitrim Daily. Uh, Tommy Moran here, and another very special guest with us today, a man who has very recently been the Leitrim Guardian Person of the Year, but a man associated with practically everything that happens in Drumshambo. So we give him a warm welcome to Noel McPartland. Noel, you're very welcome Thank to Leitrim Daily. Glad to be here. Now, when we mention Drumshambo now, the question most people ask is about the hub. But we, we'll start before the hub. Okay, right. Is, if that's okay. That's right. You worked for a long time with, with C.S. Laird. I worked for almost 30 years with C.S. Laird from 1964 into the 1990s. And you were a super salesman, I believe. Well, I was a salesman. I started off as a rep on the road or as a commercial traveller. Right. As they were known in those days. And I think for reasons best known to everybody, they changed that to rep representatives. And I worked for Laird's from not from February 1964 until the early 1990s. Um, I was mainly, for most of that time, I was mainly on the export markets. And I travelled extensively for them in the Far East and the Middle East and North America. And I had a long association with a very good company and a great family. Well, the Lairds were an, ex an exceptional family. Well, they were an exceptional family for Drumshamba because uh, they gave tremendous employment mm -hmm. in very bad times. And between the Arigna mines and the Leyden brothers and all that, Drumshamba uh, was very lucky to have two good employers so very close together. Well, that's a very important aspect. People are inclined to overlook, you know, forget about it. Absolutely. And uh, what you, you said you travelled a lot in the Far East and so on. Yeah. Did you find that difficult? Well, I did at the time because my first trip out to the Middle East was in 75, 75, 76. And uh, they were only emerging from the desert, really. Right. They had plenty of money, but they had no production of food or anything. And we happened to hit it at the right time. And we were advised at the time by, of course, Tlokthala, which was the Irish Trade Board, that we should go to the Middle East. And uh, they had a number of contacts. And I was sent to Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, uh, Dubai, Qatar, Jordan, and Iran. Uh, but I hit the jackpot business-wise in Saudi. I met a company there that were huge importers of, of food products. And I came back from that company alone with, if you want to count it, on single jars of jam, over a million jars. Oh, God bless us. And in a sense... Well, don't know it. Fair play to you. It was 64 20-foot containers. And were you sure of getting paid? Was the money up front? Oh, paid by letter of credit. And mm -hmm. uh, as soon as we delivered, we, 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 that lot, 64 containers were delivered over a period of about nine months. Mm -hmm. the people in Bahrain weren't saying to you, we'll see you after the fair day or anything like that. <laughs> no, that wasn't like... We were given a letter of credit, an irrevocable letter of credit, which once we shipped the first batch, we presented the documents, all being in order, to the bank, mm -hmm. and the money was paid. And that was big, that was, at that time, it was nearly, I suppose, over £400,000. Of course, yeah. Well, that was great achievement for yourself, you know. But you had never been in that type of a situation oh, before. Oh, no, no, I was on the home market as well, but I had some good business on the home market, but this was really, when I went in to meet this gentleman from, the name of the company was Basama Trading in Jeddah, I start talking about 
prices and all the rest and he just stopped me in, in my tracks and he said, uh, Mr. Noel, he says, uh, you never asked me what we were going to do with you this coming year. Well, I said, I was getting to that really, you know. So he produced this very well-typed white sheet of paper and shot it over in front of me. And I'm looking at this, I didn't know whether it was phone numbers or what they were. <laughs> and eventually I, I concluded there were containers and there were 64 containers and I was practically speechless. So I said to him, uh, Mr. Salem, I said, I'll have to go back to the hotel and I'm going to ring my boss because I want to um, just tell him what we're looking at here because I was sent out here to try and get a price rise. Mm -hmm. So he says, well, you can use my phone. And I said, if you don't mind, it'll be very difficult for me to get through now on the phone because at that time I said, uh, as I know, my phone number or Larry's phone number was from Shambo 3. Not very impressive number. Very impressive number. So he said, okay, so you come back to me in the morning. So I went back to the hotel. Uh, I went down to the guy on the desk and I said, I want to book this call to uh, this number, from Shambo 3, Republic of Ireland. And he says, any more numbers? No, that's the only number, I said. So he says, okay. So I'm back to the room and I'm getting my notes together and about an hour later he rings me yeah. and he said, I'm sorry sir, he says, there's no such place and there's no such number. Well I said, now it happens to be my workplace mm -hmm. and it's my phone number and it's in Ireland. So I said, try it again. No luck. This went on for about three hours. Yeah. So at that stage I said to him, can you get me through to the international operator? And he got me through to London eventually. Mm -hmm. And when I got to London, I asked for um, Dublin. Dublin answered, and I just said, to Shambo 3, please. Okay, sir. Uh, a few seconds later, Mullingar answers. You know, you know the oh, yeah, remember it well, yeah. Yes, uh, Shambo 3, please. Then Longford. Then Carrick and Shannon, which was noted at that time for being very slow people for, to answer. <laughs> so they answered, and uh, I said, Durham Shamba, please. And Maud Taylor, God rest her, she was the, she was the postmistress in Durham Shamba. And uh, she recognized my voice. And she said, uh, Oh, no, where are you? I'm in Saudi Arabia, Maud. Ah, oh, you're in Iraq, she says, and hung up. <laughs> After all the effort. Here was I adrift again. Couldn't get through with this news to Laird's. And uh, I tried it again about two hours later. And we did the same thing and I got through. But I heard afterwards, she went down to Raymond Laird and said, where's Noel McPartland this week? Oh, he's in the Middle East. Oh, she said, uh, he rang me from a place called Saki. <laughs> well, it's okay, she said, Raymond, he's in Saudi Arabia. Oh, that was the place, she said. I'm after cutting them off. But I got through, I had started that phone call about maybe 11 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And at this stage now, it was 5 o'clock in the evening, Irish time. And uh, I got through to Raymond. Well, that was great. Now, to tell him that I had a, a massive order from this company. And that I was going to arrange a price increase about halfway through the order. Because uh, I had discussed this with my Mr. Salem. Right. And I went back the next morning to your man, sat down and told him my difficulties in getting through. He laughed 
They have all, they had all the high tech mm -hmm. phones and everything they raise here. And eventually uh, we concluded our business and I walked out of there with that huge order. Well, how did Raymond Laird react? Oh my God, he couldn't believe it. Uh, well, none of us could believe it because we were doing at that time about maybe... That was a Bo, Bo Peep Jam, was Bo it? Bo Peep Jam, yeah. yeah. But we, we had to create Arabic labels. Oh, the Arabic yeah, language course, had to be yeah, on them, yeah. and we, we, we did that. And uh, kept that factory going for nearly a year and a half. Alone, along with our home market business. Of course, yeah. yeah. Resulting in that we weren't able to handle that kind of volume in the old factory. And that's when the new factory was built in 1983. Yeah. Well, that was progress, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. my God, it was great progress. But the great thing about that, then we ran into difficulties later on in the 80s with the banks. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to abuse even banks here, but I'll tell you, <laughs> there, were, there were no great friends of, 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 of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And at that time, interest rates are running at around 18%. Oh, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. And we were waiting for it to draw down grants from the various agencies like IDA and all that and eventually there was a I would call them the next thing to a liquidator appointed yeah. and uh, they were running the business for a couple of years we continued on as we were we were had a good home market business and the, the export business was holding up as well but uh, the guy that was running it on behalf of, of one of the banks and I won't mention names. No, no, but please, don't, please don't. I don't want to see people being in high court or anything. <laughs> but this guy came in one morning and he said to Sean Nolan and myself, the company is sold. Oh, and who bought it? Uh, Halal Meats from Valley Hawness. Mm -hmm. You might have heard of that. We needed it, yeah. So we were gobsmacked. And has the deal gone through? Well, it's signed up mm -hmm. and be going through very shortly. And then he started offering us um, for our, we had no shares of the company. We were directors all right, but mm -hmm. with no shares. No shares. But yeah. in fairness, they were going to give us something. But what they offered was a minuscule confirmation amount money. of money. And we yeah. wouldn't even consider it. And we had an offer row with this guy. And we left the office and told him what to do with the, what he had offered. And then we went political. And my party at that time, Fianna Fáil. <laughs> I was put in touch with the, with the famous Liam Lawler. Right. And I'd always, God rest him, I'd always remember he was a, a go-getter. He said, we'd be down tomorrow to look at the factory. Myself and Brian Britton, God rest him, Brian passed away. He was he used to work for Goodman at that time. He was the main man. And they came down the next morning with Chopper. But I told him not to come to Trumchamba to come to the Forest Park and I'd pick them up. So they arrived at the Forest Park, I picked the two of them up, we dressed them in white coats and put them through the factory. We didn't want anybody to recognise who no, they were. were yeah. It was only Sean Nolan and myself and uh, the, the accountant that was there and he was sweating in case the thing would go all wrong because the other deal was going through, you see. So they looked at it anyway and I remember Brian Britton asked me, we gave him the accounts, straight up front, but we said, if anything goes wrong here, you never got those accounts, and fair play to me, didn't let us down. And eventually he went through, he says, you're, you're trading well, he said, okay, you have an overhang of debt there, he says, but we'd be interested. So they left, I left them back to the Forest Park, went back home, I was absolutely flat out from a, a rough 
good day and uh, I got a phone call from Brian Britton at about nine, about eight o'clock. I was lying down on the bed resting right. and he said, uh, no, there was no mobiles in those days. At least I didn't have one. And he rang my home number and I took the call and he says, I have an very good man on the phone here, he wants to go work with you. I said, give me a chance. I want You're to move in a big circles. Yeah, I want to go down to the office and I'll have a... No, he just wants to have a general chat with you. Because Larry was also in the export business, big time. Yeah. Especially in the Middle East. So I took the call and spoke to Mr. Goodman and he asked me a few questions about pricing and all the rest and how do you do this and that. And after about five minutes, he said, thank you very much. And that was it. Got a call the next morning to go to Dublin and meet Liam Lawler, Brian Britton, and Larry Goodman in the Shelburne Hotel. So myself and Sean Nolan, and we took our own solicitor with us, Kevin Doherty, who was a solicitor here in Kerry and a cousin of mine. Met in the, met in the Shelburne, Raymond Lear, we got Raymond in on the deal, delighted with himself, uh, and we agreed the details, and we're about over to Good Buddies, the um, accountants, just to get the deal signed up. And we had to go then to the bank's man who had been appointed to look after the sale of the company. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we rang him, and I remember his name was Perry. And he says, well, you, you, I, you can't come down on short notice. We have to go down. We have our solicitor with us. Went down there at 6 o'clock. We had a board meeting with the man listening, and we, I proposed that the company be sold to Food Industries was Larry's company no, at that time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was proposed by me, seconded by um, Sean Nolan, and Raymond then agreed it, and we left, left the man, he was sitting there gobsmacked. So the deal was done, we were sent down, back over to, to Good Buddies again, and the payoff was done. Raymond got a great lump of money out of it. Mm. We got a few good few bob out of it, and we drove home. Good and for on, you. And on the way home, I never forget this. I had a Honda Accord, <laughs> and I was flying it down the M4 from passing the hotel there outside of Longford, Fontainebleau. Oh, the Fontainebleau, yeah. And to my horror, this woman comes out of a, a side road and drives straight out in front of me. And I knew if I blew the horn, she'd stop. And she would, we were all in banjaxed. I was flying that now. <laughs> but I braked, and she kept going. And then she saw the lights behind her and stopped. And I said, are you okay? I went over to her, I guess. She said, I never saw you coming, she said. And she couldn't have, because we were, I was doing about, geez, 90 miles an hour. <laughs> but it's not equitable at this stage, but anyway. Uh, we went home, very delighted, and Raymond was delighted, and the co company was sold to, to Larry Goodman. But then he downgraded the company to an extent that, first of all, he wanted to take any stuff that was unnecessary there in terms of both bodies mm -hmm. and, and other stuff. And he, he tried to make it profitable in that by doing it that way, which was the wrong way to do it. And he wasn't used to the jam business. He None was, at all. It was the meat business, a different yeah. business altogether. But that went on for a couple of years and then he sold the company to Keypack. And they were very good, I must say. Now they extended it to different parts of the production. 
But then they decided to get out of it in 96 and they closed it. And it lay there for seven years. And it's from that that the hub or whatever well, that for a while. But from you that, had, then, you had something in the back of your mind, no one had Yeah, you? I got a man in to buy, to buy the whole lot. Right. And we got a 99 year lease. And we got massive support from all the agencies. And we built, which is now the hub. And we have seven tenants there, including the distillery, which is very successful. The whole yeah. And uh, that's it was famous one time for the Bo Peep Jam, it's famous now for the gunpowder whiskey. Or gun that's powder right, gin. Yeah. No, it's gunpowder gin, yeah. Yeah, it's gunpowder whiskey but, but, but as well. I still do the, the, the jam. Well, you don't get out to the far, do we? You don't lease there anywhere <laughs> no, now. No, no. But I, I, I don't, no, I don't, my, my, my export business now is over. I started an export business when I left Laird's. Mm -hmm. Irish food and drink exports, and I was working for six different companies, all over the Far East, the Middle East, and North America. And I had a fabulous... You've had a very interesting life. Before. I had, yes. I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't be aware of all of yeah, just no, I, I there. Traveled. And you, you were in America for a while. Oh, I was, I was, well, I was in America prior to being... Yeah, I know prior to being with I went to America. My first job, actually, was at the horror station in, in Lac Allen. Oh, yes. From Shamba. Arena, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I got a job there as a clerk. I was out of, out of St. Mel's in 1957. And I got that job, and I was getting, it was an English company, and I got £7.10 a week for doing nothing, because <laughs> yeah. I was supposed to be a clerk, but they weren't set up properly yeah. for the business they were doing, and John Paul was the main contractor. And these people were, uh, Simon Carves and company from Cheshire, they were to um, install all the tubing. Mm -hmm. But the, John Paul wasn't ready for them, so they packed up after six months and I went back to Cheshire and they recalled, recalled then about a year later but in the meantime I decided to go to America and mm -hmm. I immigrated to America in, in uh, June of 1958. You were quite young at that time, yeah? Yeah. And you joined the American Army? I, I was joined, you were very quick there at the ball time. I, 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 I went to Chicago and then I went down to New York because all of Half a legion was in New York at that stage. That's right, of course. And uh, I was drafted into the army on my birthday, December the 7th. Were well, you conscripted like you were drafted into the army? You were conscripted into the oh, army? Oh yeah, because if you were between the ages of 18 and 24, going out to America as an immigrant, you had to register with a local draft board in the area you were living within six months. Mm -hmm. Now I spent my first six months in Chicago and I moved to New York. I never registered and had an, an old aunt out there, which to me she was old, she was probably in her 50s. And she said, did you register for the draft? No, I didn't. I said, oh, she says, do because they'll deport you. So I registered for the draft in uh, September of 1960. And this, that was a famous year because John F. Kennedy was elected president in November that year. I, and actually about a week or ten days after his election, I got my call for the army. And I went down for, I got my medical that day, and I wasn't sure whether I was going into the army. That day, I didn't think I was actually, mm -hmm. but I was on a bus that night with about 40 other guys for Fort Dix, New Jersey, for training. And that was on the 6th of December, 1960, and I was sent up I did basic training in a very tough winter, uh, with a lot of outdoor stuff. That was the toughest part. And then 
I rang my twin brother, who was just, he was in, still in the army, he enlisted in the army, but he enlisted in the paratroopers, the 82nd Airborne Division. And I rang him in North Carolina and I said, listen, I'm in now, what, what do I look for? Oh, he says, you don't look for anything. He said, you, you didn't enlist, you were drafted. And, but he said, if you get a chance, get company clerk or chaplain's assistant. So Jesus, I went for chaplain's assistant. But man, no. And I got it. And I was, what did you do with that job? I was sent out to look Fort Lord in California to train me. I was well trained serving mass for the nuns under Trumbo and all that. But anyway, uh, I had to spend, I think, a month in Fort Lord being trained to be a lot of... You see, the army had to report every month to Cardinal Spellman in New York. Yeah. The, uh, the Catholic Church is on the army bases, and you had to fill in all the reports. And this, I was taught all this, and I was there for a while anyway. And I wasn't pulling well with the, the, with that priest. He was a colonel, Colonel Kanaka. I remember him well, <laughs> and he didn't like my style really. Yeah. He thought I was very irresponsible and all the rest. Because he didn't know you know. Yeah, you know. but anyway, Christmas came of, of 61. 61, yeah. No, it was 16. I was there over Christmas, yeah, and then uh, I wanted to get, I said to my first sergeant who, who was started to play handball, that built a handball alley on the base, and I was a good handballer in terms of what they were like, they never played handball. It was an indoor handball thing and I used to play handball with him and I, I, was, I haven't been in Nails playing handball for five years, and that's about all I did in Nails actually was playing handball. But we, uh, <laughs> uh, I got very, this man, um, Sergeant Bowen, lovely, and he used to bring down the company commander to play with me. So I, I, got, I got to know the right people. And then, December, in about oh, July of two, 1961, um, the, the former company commander said to me one morning, have you been home now since you came out here in 58? No, I haven't. I said, no. Well, he says, why don't you? Get an, uh, a hop, as they call it, mm -hmm. a military plane going to Europe. He says, We give you your details and your paperwork. You get yourself down to McGuire Air Base in New Jersey, wait for a, for a plane going out. I went down, I spent two days at McGuire and I was called for a flight to Frankfurt. And I arrived in Frankfurt. Were you in uniform? Were you in uniform? Always in uniform. I had to be in uniform. Right. Yeah. And I was called anyway, got on the flight for Frankfurt. Arrived in Frankfurt and I said, and I was waiting now for two days, and here I was in Frankfurt. So I went down to uh, the civilian air base and took out near, uh, a Lufthansa flight to Dublin. And I remember I rang my mother about restaurant Drumshamba, Drumshamba 15. <laughs> and she said, Oh, no, uh, and, and uh, you're still in, in, in the army. I am, I said, but at the moment I'm in Dublin. <laughs> my God, she nearly died. And my, my twin brother, or my younger brother, Ronnie, whom you probably know, yes, yeah. Ronnie uh, was in the, in the, the Air Corps yeah. pilot. Mm -hmm. And um, he, she sent, told me to give me his number, the base he was on, and she, he brought me home that night. I was in Drumshambo on that Sunday night for the first time in three and a half years. That was some experience, wasn't it? Even that trip alone. It was a great experience, but I, I, I as ever, as always. Did you retire from the army or? Oh no, you don't. I put in my two years. Right. Yeah. Now, and just before 
December 1962. I was due for release on the 6th of December, exactly two years after the day I went in, mm -hmm. after the two years mm -hmm. I went in. And uh, I remember, in, in, you might remember this, in, in October, these guys wouldn't remember, but in October of that year, there was the famous Cuban crisis. That's right, yeah. Where Khrushchev had sent on the missiles to Cuba. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kennedy called him to order and demanded that they take back the missiles. And here we were in a situation for about two and a half weeks. All leave was cancelled. All discharge dates was cancelled. Here was I sitting there praying to that this would work, you know. But Khrushchev gave in anyway. And I got out of the army. Well, no, at the time of the Cuban crisis, there was a lot of activity in Leithrum. The civil defence was going strong because uh, everybody was afraid that there'd be an, an atomic bomb and uh, the civil defence were being trained. And Breffney Early, who's the man behind Leithrum Daily, his grandfather was given classes in the civil defence and welfare, it was. And, and he used to come to Tremila with me, to Tremila School. And was very various branches of the first aid. And was that, all because of the Cuban that was all because of the Cuban crisis. But uh, I think that's why Khrushchev gave in because he heard that we were gathering in Romania. And <laughs> I remember the most important thing that we gave the boys was uh, well, they had a bit of equipment and a notebook and a pencil and so on. But the most important thing was the uniform. Yeah. They got trousers. I mean, to come up here, you could put the tie out through the forehead and. and uh, a jacket, a small little jacket, but they got a pair of boots that were great for, you know, working the tractor and so on. Was that organised by the FCA, was it? No, it was organised by Leitham County Council. But, you know, there were loads of people joining it. Uh, apparently, you missed all that. Well, you missed all that. <laughs> you were dealing with Khrushchev. <laughs> but no one, we said we'd start pre the hub in Trumshambo, oh. and we, we stayed there, you know, you, you, it's yeah. A, a most powerful interview. So we will have to leave the, the present hope for another time. Right. And I know that Drumshambo owes you a great amount. It really oh, no, does. But it does. I know, and you like Drumshambo, and you, of course you feel it doesn't owe yeah. you anything. Yeah. But it really does. And Even uh, though I was born in Dublin. Were you born in Dublin? In the Rotunda. Alright. My mother was expecting twins. I don't know whether she knew it or not. Mm -hmm. But she was sent to the Rotunda. And I spent... Uh, we were born there in December of that year, and we were brought down then that two days later to uh, the pro-cathedral baptised, and my father drove us home to Rimshamba. Oh, yeah. And I remember I came across his logbook, because he was in the hackney business, mm -hmm. and he mentioned he was in Dublin on the 6th of December, and he came back on the 9th, and he never mentioned that he had twin <laughs> sons. <laughs> well, he had to put the important things down in the logbook. You know, yes, it is. Well, it was great that he brought you back. To, you, the family were living in Drumshambo at the time. They were, your parents were. Oh, yeah, they were there. Well, I'm surprised that you're saying that they were born in Dublin because most people wouldn't say they were born in Dublin. They said they were born in Leitrim. No, 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 they were, but I have to tell the truth. <laughs> but I'm a Leitrim man. Yeah. And naturalised Leitrim man. And yeah. uh, the reason I was born in Dublin was because she was expecting twins. Yeah, she had three daughters before that. Right. And God knows it took the poor woman a long time to figure out these twin boys. She was two years seven, three girls first. And uh, 
Ah, oh, for grandparents, grandparents, great times, and the life moves on. You have grandchildren now. How many grandchildren have you now? I have six. Six. Oh. So far, you have you have no land left at all when you have after the grandchildren. <laughs> well, no, it's a pleasure, absolute pleasure, talking to you, and uh, well, thank you so much. And no doubt the the people who are watching in will enjoy it. It's always a pleasure talking to you, but very scary <laughs> because you never know what's going to come out next. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, Noel. Thank you very much for tuning in to Leitrim Daily. We hope you enjoyed uh, the interview with Noel McPartland, a man that has such a varied life, and I would like to thank him sincerely. Thank you, Noel. For Thanks, Noel, very much. Slán, I was bound up.